Last Days. This is part four, and I believe the final installment in this series. And um, maybe you can help me choose what's coming after this, because I've got different things in my mind. I always keep a document with a running list of what I think might come next. What I'm warming up gets moved up toward the top. What I'm incubating gets moved up toward the top. And then one of them will be the next one. But I've got three of them on my mind right now, and I want to do a little bit of crowdsourcing. I need your input. You online, you can respond to by uh, clicking down there in the YouTube description and give us your feedback. So I'm wondering, I'll, I'll tell you what I would really like to do, but I'm wondering, is this enough eschatology, the doctrine of future events for one time? And do we need a complete break from that for a little while? Or, give me your feedback in the room, be lively, let me know. Would you like a kind of a flyby series, it would be some weeks, over and in the book of Revelation? Would that be good? Because I'm thinking like the stuff we've been seeing in Scripture, you might be wondering, okay, where does all that stuff in Revelation fit in then? What happens with that? Another possibility that I'm really warm about is we could just go right into a series on heaven. What will heaven be like? That one didn't get as big as Revelation. Anybody? Heaven? Heaven sounds good. How about Revelation then heaven? Just keep, it's too much of a good thing, guys. Or one of your groups, one of the, our community groups, the leader wrote me on Friday night and said, in our group, we had a lot of discussion tonight about church unity, that is, around which doctrines can we unify and which doctrines do we not need to be agreed on in order to still have unity? Could you preach on that? How many of you would like to hear something about that? All right. So they all, you didn't help me at all, you know. I think maybe the book of Revelation won, but it was the first one. You were more energetic then, so... All right, we'll see. So are we in the last days? What have we learned so far? We've learned that, yes, we are, in fact, in the last days. We've learned that the Bible gives us clear characteristics of these last days, wars, natural disasters, seasons of distress, antichrists, lawlessness, persecution, all of these, says the Lord Jesus, are but the birth pangs and they are not the end yet. That's normal, living in this age called the last days. And we asked, are things getting progressively worse? And the answer I found from the Bible, whether I convinced you or not, I don't know, but the answer I find in the Bible is no, things are not getting progressively worse and worse. The whole age is bad, gets a little better, gets a little worse, a little better, a little worse. And then we learned what happens near the end of this age. There are two signs that the Apostle Paul mentioned in the uh, letters to the Thessalonians. And he said, before Jesus comes back, there must be the apostasy and there must be the revealing of the man of sin, the Antichrist, and then you'll know you're very close to the end. And we also learned about our resurrection at the last days, when we are raised, and what happens when we, raise, when we are raised. So it's a whole lot of information we looked at together, and we might agree and disagree on various parts of it, that's fine, just so we agree on the fundamentals of eschatology doctrine. We're happy with that at Cornerstone Church. But here's what we want to do with it today. We want to ask, what's it all there for? Why is there eschatology in the Bible? Why does Paul teach? Why does Jesus teach? Why does Peter teach? Why does John teach? Why do Old Testament prophets teach us eschatology? What is their purpose? Like if they did all their teaching that they do and then said, therefore, what would the therefore be? And as a matter of fact, every single time we have eschatology in the New Testament, it ends with a therefore, 
with a, a moral, practical implication. Here's what I want you to do in light of those facts. Here's how I want you to live in light of those facts. Every single passage. So what are the therefores? What are we supposed to do knowing some eschatology? Here's the first therefore. Therefore, be holy, godly, and expectant. And I put all three of those together in one slide because they're all three in the verses we're about to look at. So we'll work our way through them all three at the same time, though it isn't really a great outline. But be holy, be godly, and expectant. Listen to what Peter says, 2 Peter 3, 11. He's been teaching on eschatology, and now he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, here are, the, here are the ethical implications of what you now know about eschatology. Now that you know, it's all going to melt. Now that you know, you'll be raised incorruptible. Now that you know, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Now that you know that Jesus is returning, since all these things are thus to happen, thus to be dissolved, here's the implication. What sort of people ought you to be what it ought to do to us in lives of holiness and godliness. In other words, we're supposed to reason Jesus is coming. It's all going to melt. I'm going to be in a new body in Christ and on a new heavens and a new earth. Man, I want to live for him. I want to faithfully follow Jesus Christ. I want to be holy, set apart to him. I want to be godly, like God. That's what it's supposed to do for you. If you read books and books and books and listen to, people don't read books anymore, and listen to videos and videos and videos on eschatology, and you learn loads and loads and loads of what the Bible teaches about eschatology, but if you do not arrive there, you've missed the whole point. You're not absorbing it for the purposes God has given it. It is to make you holy, godly, and as we'll see soon, expectant. You say, well, what's the expectant part? Next verse, 312a. Waiting for... And hastening, hurrying up, speeding up the coming of the day of God, Jesus' second coming. So how, how do I respond to what I know about eschatology? It says, man, it makes me want to be set apart, holy, set apart unto God. I want to be God's. I don't want to live like I used to live. I don't want to live like they live. I want to live his way. I'm set apart. I'm here for God. And it makes me say, man, knowing all that, I want to be like him. That's what, that's what it means to be, what was the word he used? Um, godly. Godliness. Godliness is being like God. It's being like Christ. I want to be set apart to him. I want to be like him. But also, it does this, and I'm waiting I can't wait. Twice in Scripture we have Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. 
And knowing what I know, it makes me say, that, that's, that's my posture now. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. You ever seen a movie or a show? It's medieval. You're in the castle. They've got ladies in waiting. What are they waiting for? A guy. They're waiting for their Prince Charming to come, Charming to come sweep them off their feet marry them, take them to his own castle where they'll live happily ever after. They're ladies in waiting. We are Christians in waiting. What are we doing while we're here? I'm waiting. What are you waiting for? Jesus to come, give me a new body, set my feet down on a new heavens and a new earth. I'm waiting. So all the other stuff I'm doing right now, I'm just doing while I'm waiting. Let me tap you on the shoulder. What are you really doing here? Waiting What do you want to be like while you're waiting? Like him and set apart unto him. That's my life. That's that's what eschatology is supposed to do for me. Knowing these things, I want to be godly. I want to be holy. And I'm expectant. I'm, I'm waiting. Not even waiting, but more. Waiting for and hastening. Speeding up. Hurrying up. You say, well, how can we hasten the day? Isn't that like set in God's book? Isn't that already like predetermined? He knows when the day is. How can we speed it up? Well, from our side of eternity, from our side of God's will and what we can see and what we can know. A few verses earlier, Peter said this, God delays the coming because he wants everyone to believe. He is reluctant to lower the boom because it's giving more time for people to believe. So while we're waiting, how can we speed it up? Lead more people to believe. If we lead everybody on the planet to believe, God will say, okay, that's good. I'll send Jesus back now. We're hastening the day. We're speeding it up, not slowing it down, not, Lord Jesus, come quickly, but we have a vacation next week not too quickly. Lord Jesus, come quickly, but we're just buying our first house. How about not too quickly? Here's, here's one. How about come quickly, Lord Jesus, but Lord Jesus, I'm getting married on Friday night. Been waiting for this for a long time. There's a honeymoon, you know. How about not too quickly? We got all these things that we think, oh, I want to go to heaven, but really I'd rather be here because this is better and this is better. This is be-. Nothing is better than being in heaven. That's why the believer can say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Because this place at its best is a mess. So what's eschatology in the Bible for? What's it supposed to do? It's supposed to make us holy. I want to be set apart to Christ. It's supposed to make us godly. I want to be like God. It's supposed to make us expectant. I'm just a lady in waiting. I'm a believer in waiting. I'm waiting for my groom to come and take me away, and he's coming, and he'll be worth the wait. So that's what eschatology is for. Is it, I ask you, is it having that effect on you? Have you been listening to these messages and saying, man, that makes me want to live for Christ. Man, that makes me want to be holy. Man, that wants me to be like set apart to God. I'm God's man. I'm God's woman. 
That makes me realize all this stuff, it's about to melt. I'm waiting for the real stuff. This is just stuff. It's here for a very short time. Don't get all enamored by it. It's nothing special. And it's all going to melt very soon. The whole earth's going to melt with a fervent heat, and there will be a new creation, a recreation, in which righteousness dwells. That's what you really want. And that's where you really want to be. Eschatology is to make you want that. Peter says even more about this before we go on to a, a second thing that's supposed to make us do. Second Peter 3.14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. He's assuming that fit you, that waiting part. Yeah, you said, that's me. I am waiting. Okay, since you are waiting for these. Here I have an ethical implication for you. I have a therefore. I have something for you to do. Here it is. Since you're waiting, be diligent. Work hard. Give this a lot of attention. Give this a lot of your energy while you're waiting for him to come. Be diligent to be found by him. He's going to come and find you in some state or other. Be diligent to be found by him without spot. That's holy. Without blemish. That's holy. That's like Christ and at peace. Hmm, how'd that get in there? At peace with God. Peace in your soul. And so peace with other people. At peace. Interesting, isn't it? This is what eschatology does. Man, Jesus is coming. It's all going to melt. I'll be in a new body on a new earth. I want to really work hard that when he comes, he'll find me unspotted by the world without blemish, moral blemish, at peace with God. Everything's right the way it's supposed to be. This is what eschatology is for, to be holy, godly, and expectant. You ready for point two of what it's supposed to do for us? Here it is. Thank you. It's also supposed to do this in us. It tells us to be awake and be ready. To be godly, holy, godly, and expectant, and to be awake and ready. For this, we'll go to Matthew chapter 24. It's known as the Olivet Discourse. Our Lord Jesus gives us a whole chapter full of eschatology, doctrine of last things, things to come. Imagine you just read through the first 41 verses of that chapter, which are all eschatology, facts, 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 information, information. Now, Lord, why did you give us this information? What are the ethical implications? What are the therefores? He actually uses the word therefore, Matthew 24, therefore. You just heard 41 verses of eschatological facts. Now, here's what you do. Therefore, and here are the implications. Stay awake. The implication of that is you can be a Christian, but you can be a sleepy old Christian. You can be half awake or half asleep, whichever way you want to put that. You can be like me in the evenings. I do get up early, but nonetheless, and my bedtime's 10 o'clock generally. But one, one of the reasons I don't watch much TV at all, and I don't, I rarely watch anything on TV, well, one of the reasons is if I sit in that recliner and watch that TV, guess what happens? Psh, it's lights out. 
I don't want to waste the rest of my precious evening with lights out. I want to do something interesting. So I sit at the table, because it's upright in a chair, and I read, and I love it. I'm being awake. I don't want to be the sleepy old Steve. I actually wish, and you probably do too, I wish I never had to go to sleep. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could just be awake all the time? 24 hours a day, getting stuff done. I'd love it. You can be a sleepy Christian or you can be an awake Christian. And Jesus says, therefore, since you know all this eschatology, here's what I want you to do about it. Stay awake. Stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Yes, there are signs. You'll see the great apostasy. You'll see the Antichrist. Jesus talks about those in this discourse. There are things that you will see that, that tell you my coming is near. But you don't know the day. You don't know the time. So don't be messing around like a sleepy old Christian. You be awake. You be alert. Your eyes are open to the realities of life on this planet in the presence of God. Stay awake because you don't know when he's coming. And then he says in the next verse, 24, 43, but know this, that if the master of the house, here's a little parable. If the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, like they don't write you a letter. Hey, I just want you to know I'm breaking into your place at two tonight. They don't do that. If the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. And he would, would have not let his house be broken into. Next verse, verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready, like the master of that house. Be ready, stay awake, spiritually awake. Not a sleepy old Christian, not a sluggish old Christian, not a half-hearted old Christian, not a lukewarm old Christian, an awake Christian. I'm awake to the kingdom of God. I'm awake to the things of God. I'm awake to what's going on on this planet Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. See, you want to be found by him. What am I doing when he comes down? I don't want to be doing something bad at that moment. That's what he's saying. But you don't know the moment, so don't be doing something bad in any moment. Be ready. Be awake. Maybe there are Christians in this room, maybe there are Christians listening with us online to whom I need to say, hey, say it lovingly, but wake up. Wake up. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's hard for me to tell. Like, sometimes I get around somebody and and I'm verbally trying to take their pulse and I can't get any, there's no bumping. I can't get a pulse. I can't get a spiritual pulse. What's going on in their soul? What's going on in their heart? Are there passions for the kingdom of God? Do they care about the things of God? You can be a sleepy Christian. Jesus says, be an awake Christian. I love what the Proverbs say. The Proverbs say a lot about not being a sluggard. And I think what is said applies to your Christian life, not being a spiritual sluggard not being a Christian sluggard. Here's one of my favorites, you know it. Proverbs 26, 14. As a door turns on its hinges, right? As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. 
like he ought to be getting up. He ought to get some work done. He needs to be responsible. He needs to do something with his life. He's like, oh, I'm going to sleep some more. You can be just like that spiritually. Your spiritual life is just going, the next verse, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It's like he went to grab something, but he's too lazy to pick it up, and he just keeps going down. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. He's too lazy to pick up a handful of popcorn, put it in his mouth. just goes, you could be that way spiritually. There's God's word. Too lazy to bring something good into your soul. There's the church of Jesus Christ. Too lazy to get yourself into the church of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of small groups. There's all kinds of one-on-one opportunities. There's all kinds of ministries. There's videos you can watch. There's books you can read. Too lazy. Hand in the bowl. Half asleep. The ethical implications of eschatology are don't be sleepy. It's Jesus is coming. It's all going to melt Wake up. Be ready. Be ready. Somehow that phrase this morning reminded me, I'm reviewing my notes, reminded me of when I first met Debbie. I was a junior in college. She was a freshman at the same college. I met her and instantly knew I wanted to marry her. I really did. (laughs) And... Uh, after we began dating, spending some time together, uh, I, had a, I had a Fiat, a Fiat 128 sedan, avocado green, 1116 cc's, 48 horsepower, zero to 60 in a month if there's a tailwind. <laughs> I had my little Fiat, and in the evenings at that Washington Bible College, they had study hours. You had to be in your room studying. They knew we're undisciplined kids and they need some discipline, and we're going to make them study from here to there. You had to be in your room at your desk studying. But as soon as study hours were over, I would jump in my Fiat and run up to the women's dorm, and I'd go under her window, and I'd go beep, beep, and I'd see her face in the window, and then she'd come down. I, I was ready for her to come. I was ready to see her face. I was ready for her to come down and hop in the Fiat with me. We'd go to Danny's or something, get a cup of coffee. Cheap. What does this mean spiritually? It means keep, keep on. Keep on. Be awake and be ready. Paul adds this to the Thessalonians. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. All right, so it's time for a self-assessment, a sober self-assessment. Are you awake? Are you awake in Jesus Christ? Are you awake in the kingdom of God? Is it the things of God in your soul and on this planet that matter most to you? Do you realize, how deeply do you realize, it's all about to melt, folks. This is not the thing. This is not the show. This is not what it's all about. This is a very pathetic prelude Soon the curtain will rise and we'll see our Savior. So be holy and godly and wait. Be awake and be ready. Here's a third implication of eschatology. Be encouraging. Be encouraging. I like this one. Be encouraging. Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. They were new believers. He had preached the gospel to them. Many of them had believed, had been baptized, had come to Jesus Christ. And Paul taught them eschatology. Jesus is going to come. Here's all this. And 
and they were expectant and waiting. Paul got chased out of town, and he got word that they were concerned because some of them had died. And apparently, Paul hadn't delineated for them, here's what happens if you die before Jesus gets back. So they they were concerned. My loved one in Christ died. What's going to happen to them? So Paul writes back to explain that. And he teaches a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of eschatology. And we get down to 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And after 10 verses of eschatology, he says, therefore. What's it there for? Here's what it's there for. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. What's eschatology for? It's to help you specifically to encourage bereaved believers. But by extension, any discouraged believer, look, brother, you're going to be in glory soon, whatever you're going through. Whatever the trauma, whatever the trial, whatever the deal is, Jesus is coming soon. You're going to be in a new heavens and a new earth. You got aches and pains? Ha, he's going to take care of that. You have sorrows? Ha, no more sorrow in that land. And we are to encourage one another with these words. I don't know if you all know this, but one of our brothers in this church, he he died a couple days ago. He was up in years. It wasn't a big surprise to his wife or to everybody. They kind of knew it was coming, but he died. Like Debbie and I were over there the day before he died, and the next morning, he was gone. Incidentally, he's the first and he's the only person who's ever done this. A couple years ago, he handed me a thumb drive, put it in my hand, and they just kept talking. And after a while, I had to ask him, what's, what's, what's on the drive? And he said, oh, that, that's my funeral. I want you to do it. He gave me his funeral which isn't going to be, to be till May, by the way, but um, he, he gave me his funeral. But, but he's gone. He used to always sit among us in worship. He's gone. So when you get around his wife, her name is Joe, what do you say? Paul says, I got just the thing for you. First Thessalonians, chapter, what chapter is this? What are we in? Five, verses one through 10. And here's what you're supposed to do with those. Encourage the bereaved with these words. I think she's got herself so encouraged with those words, you hardly need to encourage her, but do it anyway. I think she and we all are rejoicing that our brother's been delivered, amen? He's with the Lord now. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more heavy breathing. That heavy breathing on Friday, that was hard. So we're to encourage one another with these things. How do you encourage people when they're discouraged? Here's one really good way, really. This isn't like pie in the sky by and by, that won't help them. No, this will help them. They're suffering and suffering and suffering and suffering and suffering. And what can you say? It's all right. This is a very short time. Your life is like a vapor. There it's gone. Very soon, very soon, dear brother, very soon, dear sister, you're in glory. You're with Jesus Christ. You'll go up. New body. You'll come down. New earth. Encourage one another with these things. Eschatology is for encouraging. So strange, isn't it? It's been a subject that has divided believers. They've fought over it. They accuse each other. Well, you're an apostate because look at what you believe. It's supposed to be an encouraging topic. 
That's how messed up we can get things sometimes. Be encouraging. Here's another thing it's supposed to do for us. Let's review. Be holy, godly, and wait. Be awake and ready. Be encouraging. Now the next thing, it's supposed to make us steadfast. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We're back in the Olivet Discourse. We're back in Matthew chapter 24. We're back in the Lord Jesus teaching us eschatology. Let's pick it up in verse 9. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. No, I'm not a believer. She's a believer. Get her. And save their own skin. People who who claim to believe in Christ will do that. Next verse, verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures, the one who is steadfast, the one who keeps their feet firmly planted in the gospel and the word of God and on the Lord Jesus Christ, Their house is built on a rock, and they keep their feet on that rock. He says, the one who endures to the end, they don't turn away from Christ. They don't become hateful toward believers. She's one. Get her. Not me. I don't follow him anymore. No, you persevere. You keep on repenting. You keep on believing right down to the end. Jesus is coming. It's all going to melt. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep repenting. Every time I step my life into a cow pie in the pasture, I'm going to step back out and wash it off again in the blood of Christ and keep on following. Just keep on. I want you to know, you know, we hear in our day because it's news and they want us to hear this news. When someone who has been, let's say, a pastor or an evangelist or some well-known public Christian figure and periodically one of them turns and says, I don't really believe anymore. I don't really follow him anymore. And they start radically changing their views about all kinds of issues and begin to fit in with the world and be like the world. I don't really believe all that anymore. And the news likes to make that, oh, look, look, we got another one here. Used to be one of your champions. Ha ha, they fell. I don't want to be one of those statistics. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I've run the race. Notice what he says next. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown and not for me only, but for all who, listen, love the Lord's appearing. Yeah. Be steadfast. Keep on following Jesus Christ. When you hear about grievous departures from the faith. Just follow Jesus harder, (laughs) more faithfully, more firmly. One final point, got to move on to it, and then it's time to let you sing some more. So let's review. Be holy, godly, and expectant. Be awake and ready. Be encouraging. Be steadfast. Here's the last one for today, and be urgent. Be urgent. 
I love what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15. Some there were opposing the doctrine of our bodily resurrection. Paul writes back to correct that opposition and to buttress the believers in the faith of our bodily resurrection like our Savior's. After he's been teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching on that, he says, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He tells them how he became an apostle because he saw the resurrected Christ. And by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, now I love this little phrase. It's like a window into Paul's soul. He says, on the contrary, it wasn't in vain. Jesus didn't waste his time on me. No, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Another translation, I worked harder than them all. That's interesting on a number of accounts. It's like he's saying, take Peter. He's a hardworking guy. I worked harder. Take John. He's been a laborer in the kingdom of God. I work harder. Take James, uh, he, he's, he's serving the Lord, man. He's pouring himself out. I worked harder. Interesting that Paul wrote in Scripture. It's like when Moses wrote, now Moses was more humble than any man on the face of the earth. <laughs> right? And now Paul writes, take all the apostles, take all the Christian workers, take everybody on the planet. I work harder than them all. Just humbly want to tell you that. Why did he work harder? Well, there are several reasons, of course, but one of them is this. He got eschatology. He understood the fact that it's all going to melt. People need Christ. Jesus is coming. There's going to be a judgment day. And Paul concludes, therefore, I'm going to work hard at the greatest problem on the planet, which is people dying without Jesus Christ. And he devoted himself to that. And they stoned him, and he went right back to preaching. And he was shipwrecked in days and, the night, uh, days and nights in the deep, and he went right back to preaching. And they whipped him, 40 lashes minus one, and he went right back to preaching. And they threw him in jail, and he got out and went right back to preaching, and he was preaching while he was in jail. And you couldn't stop him. And he's able to say in Scripture, I worked harder than all of them. I like that. The Lord Jesus said this in John 9-4 about urgency. We must work. He's teaching his disciples. He's just been doing some stuff, and now he's explaining to them what's going on. We must work, guys. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Because you see, night is coming when no one can work. We have limited time to bring people to Christ. We have limited time to build up the kingdom of God. Jesus says, so work. And I want to know, I want to ask you, you get to answer this for yourself, but does your Christian life look like you're working in God's kingdom? So, this is what eschatology is for. Be holy and godly and wait. Be awake and ready. Be encouraging. Be steadfast. And get some urgency. That, my friends, is what eschatology is for. One more thing it's really for that I'm not putting up there, but here it is. It's to lead you to Christ. And some of you need that, therefore, from eschatology. You need to realize this is not the real show. That's the real show. You're headed there. It's going to go very good or very bad, depending on whether you're in Christ. 
And I just plead with you, would you come to the Lord Jesus Christ that at the last day you may be found in him without spot, without blemish because of his shed blood. So would you believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved? Amen. It's time for us to pray. Bow with me, please. Father, help us to make good, to make good on the things we have seen from Scripture about the second coming of our Lord Jesus. Would you use these things to make us holy and godly and waiting and all these other things? Make us steadfast. Make us urgent and laboring in your kingdom. There are people in this room, Father, there are people listening online who need to know Jesus Christ. Send the Holy Spirit to convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment, to regenerate their souls, to give them new life in Christ. May they now pray something like, Father, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, please, would you have me? Would you forgive my transgressions of your law? Would you make me so that I appear holy before you because I am in Christ? Lord Jesus, save me, I pray. And then, Father, Would you help them and would you help us never, 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 never to be sleepy old Christians? Wake us up. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.